You're listening to Thinkers What Works podcast. I'm your host, Jason Todd, with my co-host, Alex Gary. And today, Ralph Velasco from Photo Enrichment Adventures and Tour Organizer Training. Ralph, welcome to the What Works podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. So Photo Enrichment Adventures, walk us through what what is that? What do you do? Well, uh, for the past 10 years now, uh, full-time, I've been organizing and leading tours around the world. I've done over 90 international tours. Now, all I do is international tours. Started out doing little two-hour photo walks or sitting across the table from someone teaching them how to use their new digital cameras back in the day, maybe 12 or 14 years ago when I started doing this part-time. And so I, I, I learned early on, or I, I think I decided early on that the, the money with this new digital photography wasn't necessarily going to be made in selling the images. Uh, but instead, I wanted to sell the picks and shovels. And that was teaching people how to use these new devices. And so very slowly, I started out with little two hour, then four hour, half day and weekend tours in Southern California, where I was living at the time. And then that just grew into now all I do is international tours around the world with small groups of six to 11 people that uh, I call them cultural tours with a focus on photography. So they're not photo tours necessarily. They're certainly not photo workshops where it's 24 seven photography. So these are uh, mostly about the culture, the people, food, the, the architecture, music, things like that. But of course, we've always got our cameras with us and I teach photography. So walk us through then, what, is it, what does a typical day look like when you're on one of these tours? Sure, so uh, generally uh, we stay at mostly uh, three and four star boutique hotels in these locations, so really nice uh, hotels. And generally their breakfast goes from about seven to 10. So typically we'll have breakfast from seven to 7.30. And then I like to get our groups out ahead of the tourist crowds and certainly ahead of the heat of the day if that's an issue. But, um, you know, my number one photo tip, and there's a photographer, Patrick Symes, he says, if you don't like getting up early, then be a writer. <laughs> and so uh, I think if you want to improve your photography, just get out early. And I'm not talking three, four o'clock in the morning sure. for sunrise necessarily, but seven thirty, eight o'clock when the kids are on their way to school, the dressed in their you know uniforms, and people are on their way to work. So we'll get out early, try to beat traffic, heat of the day, and crowds, and then. Uh, maybe have uh, anywhere from three to four hours with an orientation walk with our local guides. Uh, I'm teaching travel photography to my people. Uh, maybe we'll end up at a lunch and then afternoon free. So my trips are typically half day scheduled, half day of free time. And it works really well for the kinds of people that enjoy my trips. Uh, people that don't necessarily have to have their day scheduled you know, for 12 hours, they like to have some structure, but they also want that free time to go explore on their own, not feel like they have to be with the group all the time. And uh, it also probably gives their the, spouse. It also probably gives them an opportunity then to, to, to take the lessons that they learned in that morning and then apply them. Absolutely. Yep. And that's what we talk about. It's like, yeah, we've, we've taught you some skills today. Now go put them into practice. Absolutely. So this is really interesting. You, you, you mentioned right in there that 
that you want to get out early, kind of when you, you use the example when kids are going to school. And that's interesting. I never considered that when you go to a, when you go to a different culture, they're kind of have, they have a, a schedule kind of like we have, right? So everybody's out and about during particular parts of the day, and then they kind of stash themselves away at their jobs. And you don't see the culture as uh, kind of as it is, you see the, you, you see more of the tourists perhaps in some of these places. So you're, you're targeting these particular times when there's going to be an activity or, or, uh, activities that are, that are genuine to that, to that area. Yeah. And like you say, uh, around the world, our kids are going to school, people are going to work. And so you're going to see that almost anywhere, but generally the tourists go out at 10, 11 o'clock after, you know, they, they're on vacation. So they feel like, well, I'm going to sleep in, I'm going to have a late breakfast. I'm going to get out there at 10, 11 o'clock. Well, that's when, you know, 90% of the people are out there, the tourists. And, and we do go to, uh, you know, some of the, t- the higher, uh, uh, touristed places when we go to a place, you know, cause that's, you know, to, to bring, let's say Cambodia, you can almost not go to Cambodia without going to Angkor Wat, which is the largest religious complex in the world. Uh, it's sort of that anchor when I'm marketing the trip that people are like, wait, you're not going to Angkor Wat. You know, that's what I want to see. Well, uh, we do go to that place, but uh, we try to get there very early. Now, that's uh, not the best example because the sunrise at Angkor Wat is sort of one of those things you have to do. And so we're out there at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning on that day, but so are three, 4,000 <laughs> other people because right. the word is out. <laughs> but uh, that's sort of an extreme example. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, I, I want the locals in my photographs. Yeah. I don't want other tourists necessarily. Um, so that's, that's why we do that. So the types of places that you've gone to, give us a list kind of, uh, of, the, of the locations or the the cities, the countries, something that sticks out in your mind. Where have you been to? Sure. I mean, uh, Bhutan, Nepal, India, Cambodia, Vietnam, Morocco, Egypt. Uh, I've done Cuba 17 times now. Uh, throughout Europe, does, is Mexico. Cuba, does Cuba get old? You're like, oh, I'll come back to Cuba. <laughs> I mean, you've been there 17 times. It's, I've yeah. been to Florida seven, and then like, my daughters want to go back to Florida. I'm like, really? Why? <laughs> I've done Florida, right? But this, yeah. I mean, do you see enough new stuff every time that it's always new to you? Not necessarily, and it, it, it's it's not about me, you know, on these trips. I mean, I'm there for my clients. Uh, it does. Uh, I've I've tweaked our Cuba trip. Uh, because we used to go Havana, Cienfuegos, Vinales, and Trinidad. And that's sort of this tourist track that a lot of people do because it's drivable and everything and a lot of variety. But I've uh, tweaked the trip now where I used to go four times a year, up to four times a year. Now I do it once a year, and we concentrate mostly just on Havana. We just stay in Havana, so we pack and unpack once. It's a seven or eight day trip, so it's fairly short. Most of my trips are two weeks, um, although I never did Cuba for two weeks. Okay. But you're going to India, you're not going to go there for seven days. You're, you're, you're going to want to make the most of your time in, the, in that time change and yeah. the flight and everything. You want to maximize the time there. So um, I'll tweak things like, like, like to that extent. And then uh, we do 
different and I'll, I'll add new activities that maybe we didn't do the last time that I found since or so I, I do try to mix it up for myself and that's why I rotate our trips too. Uh, Cuba is one of those ones that's almost every year. But, uh, you know, I might like our Balt capitals of the Baltics. It's a wonderful trip, but I might rotate that every two or three years and, and a lot of our other trips. So I've done Romania and Morocco six, seven times now. So this coming year is probably going to be the last time I'll be doing those trips for a couple of years and kind of let the the interest build up again. And it also keeps my interest in going to new places. And it all, I've got clients who've been with me on 10, 12, 15 trips. So they're looking for new destinations as well. And in terms of new destinations, you've gone on these scouting trips. You've talked about those. What Walk us through, what's a scouting trip? Yeah, that's, that's one of the favorite things that I do in this whole uh, of what I do with my tours. And that is simply going in advance by myself in the destination with a local tour guide or tour operator and maybe a driver and it's just the two or three of us going to probably two to three times the amount of locations that I'll do with the group and seeing everything trying everything uh, testing uh, you know how are the roads how are the hotels the the restaurants we're going to you're doing the value add right because people can go on these trips with you know, big tour groups and they're going to see the, the pre-picked out popular things where everybody's going. But you do the value add of getting them in, into the actual culture. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'll see two to three times the amount of things that is realistic to see with a group. And then my job is to piece together that puzzle that becomes the trip. Uh, the scouting trips can be very uh, go, go, go for me where I mentioned that the group trip is about a half-day scheduled, half-day free time. Uh, there's very little free time on a scouting trip because we're trying to maximize you know, my time there. And at times, I'm invited by the local tour operator, so it's at their expense, so they want to make it as efficient. They're not going to give me you know, seven half days off, you know what I mean? So uh, we're maximizing and being as efficient as possible. I actually want to take a step back because... When I first heard your story, what I thought was fascinating was the realization that what you were doing for a living was going to be a little bit under attack, right? Because you were a travel photographer, right? And then digital cameras come out, camera phones come out. Now everybody's a photographer. So take us back to that realization where you see the train coming and you realize you've got to get a different track. I, I was never a travel photographer in the sense that I was selling images to magazines and uh, and things like that, uh, like a lot of traditional photographers and before, you know, like 2002, three. So I kind of came up when everyone was getting into digital photography. And I've always been a traveler mm -hmm. that had a camera, like most people, uh, probably a little bit more serious than most people, I suppose. And um, so when I saw this digital trend coming and where it was going, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that selling images that sort of the bottom was going to fall out of that stock photography, which is where a lot of photographers were making a living, the travel photographers. So um, that's when I had the idea and people were doing 
photo tours for you know many many decades but now a lot more people are and so i i think i my timing was really right about i don't know 13 14 years ago when i started this part-time and like i said i've been doing it full-time now for 10 years so um, I saw that trend moving towards, well, there's all these new people that are getting these new digital devices and they're interested in learning. They, they, they want classes and in, uh, you know, in the location learning experiences. What was your eureka moment? So like, oh my God, I can make money doing this? I mean, I can, I can make a living. What was that? Yeah. Um, you know, when... When the first person paid me, I don't know what it was, $50 for me to sit across <laughs> from them at their kitchen table and walk them through their digital camera, uh, I was like, wow, people are going to pay me to do this. And, and that, uh, but then doing little photo walks because I was living in Southern California at the time. And, uh, you know, it just, it grew. And it, it's, uh, I don't know what that analogy is where, you know, if you, you, you put a frog in cold water and then you bring the temperature up to boiling, they don't jump out. But when you throw them into the hot boiling water, they jump right out. So this was something that happened very gradually over, you know, five, three, four years. And then next thing I know, this is my full-time job. And uh, if I could uh, tell you kind of a funny little story, at the time that I was doing this part-time, I was a financial advisor. This was 2005 to 2008. Well, we all know what happened in September 2008. We had the financial crisis. Yeah. Well, my business, even my boss's business, who'd been in the business for 25 years, he saw his business go down like 90%. And here I am trying to build a business. And I didn't enjoy it, uh, number one. But that is the day that I went full time was the day after the 2008 market crash in September. <laughs> So that's what I consider my my full time date. So that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Wow! Yeah, you know, as a financial advisor, you would think it'd be the worst yeah. thing. Ralph Velasco, thankful for the great recession. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, that's, isn't that true though? You you end up in this. I it, it seems to me, you know, like you said, you didn't even enjoy it. So there you are having a you know you got this job you don't even like it, but you're like yeah, it's but but it's a job and it's supposed to work out. And then it takes that crisis moment to thrust you into the thing that you actually do want to do. Yeah. And thank God I had been doing it for uh, three, four years, yeah. part-time and sort of building up. Now, I wasn't making a full-time living that next day that the market crashed, <laughs> but I I had no, I had burned all the bridges, yeah. you know, and I knew I didn't want to, uh, I had nowhere to, else to go. And so that forced me to do this and, and make it work. Yeah. And, and, and you certainly have made it work. Now, in terms of this, going back to this idea of the digital cameras, is it, I, re, I remember my film camera. I think I had an SLR at the time and it's 35 mil, you know, 35 millimeter SLR. And the, I was uh, very, I don't, I don't cautious isn't, isn't the word, but I was very particular about the photos I would take because film was expensive and then developing it was worse. So... I, I'm wondering, have you found in your experience that that now that people can take as many pictures as they want, it doesn't mean their pictures are better. It just means they're just indiscriminate about all the pictures that they take. And so this idea that 
a person who they can they can take a lot of different photographs, but it doesn't mean they doesn't mean they're really capturing the thing they want to capture. Whereas maybe with film cameras, we did because we were really thinking about how we were going to use that resource. How have you seen that change between film and digital and people's um, discernment of, of of whether they want to take good photos or whether they just want to take a bunch of photos? Right. Well, they say even a blind mouse finds a hunk of cheese once in a while, right? <laughs> right. Um, so to me, that's uh, what you were doing was shooting with intention. Yeah. So you were being very intentional about what you're photographing uh, because you knew, you, you, number one, you didn't get that immediate feedback on the back of the camera. After you take the picture, you get to see you know, what you actually photographed right then and there. Now you've got the histogram and things like this, this feedback that the camera gives us that tells us, do we have a good exposure? How's our composition? Things like that. So uh, being intentional is, uh, it's really important. Now, yeah, you can just go run and gun and shoot everything out there. Uh, and, you know, hopefully you'll get something, put the camera on continuous, or now you can even take a video of just about anything and then pull a still frame out of it so you could hardly miss right uh, to me the the fun thing about photography is anticipating the moment before it even happens and being good enough to capture it and uh, it's very difficult now it doesn't mean that i don't sometimes rarely but sometimes put my camera on continuous where I can just go, you know, and hopefully one of those six or eight frames is going to come out good. Um, but I don't do that too often. And to me, the, the challenge and the fun part is, man, anticipating that exact moment and click, man, I got it. And oftentimes I don't. But um, that's just my sort of philosophy mm -hmm. about it. And is that how you walk your clients through in terms of photography because you have the technical aspects but then you have that art form of how like you talk about how you're going to anticipate the moment what's your intention behind that photograph is are those the types of things that you walk people through on your trips yeah i don't do too much technical stuff i, I tell people that you uh number one let's say we've got 10 people on a trip there's probably 10 different cameras that people have i can't possibly know them all but there's a lot of commonalities between them but i'm really uh pretty you know serious about people knowing their camera before they come on the trip because that's not where you want to learn your camera in this mm -hmm. once in a lifetime location you want that camera to become a part of you and so i'd say i say put your camera in a point and shoot mode and i don't mean just putting it on auto what i mean is getting it to the point where the camera settings are right for those conditions and now all you have to do is point and shoot you have to anticipate that moment point and shoot because uh, if we're in fast moving markets and, and and things like that most landscape photographers food photographers portrait photographers is mostly in sort of a controlled situation you know that landscape's not going to move uh, that 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 plate of food's not going to move it, it might wilt or you know, somehow melt uh, over time, but you've got a, a more of a, a window of time to capture the shot. That light's going to change on that landscape, you know, over time. But in a fast-moving market, you don't have time to sit there and fumble around for settings and try to get things right because that moment's gone. So I really try to get people to 
know their camera, their gear well, get their camera into a point and shoot mode. And now all you have to do is recognize that photo opportunity and snap the shutter. I, the list, you, you know, you want to, I'm sitting here going, oh my God, I would just love to do all those. But so that kind of ca carries us to your new iteration, uh, which is tour organizer training. Because when I, when I when I heard you talk about it, I mean, basically your pitch to people is get other people to pay for your vacations, right? Yeah, get paid <laughs> to travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I was looking for a way to expand my business, and I can't possibly lead any more tours. I'm already on the road nine months out of the year. I don't have a home. Uh, I, I don't have an apartment. Uh, so I live and, on the and, road. And you don't want to have people working for you giving tours. Why? Yeah, not necessarily. I, I've brought two photographers on uh, a year or two ago, and they both didn't work out for two very different reasons. Uh, one had a, a big following, and I know could get people on a trip, but uh, I don't know that he had the follow-through to maybe even show up. Uh, another photographer... He, I could trust him 150%, but he didn't have any following. And so the people that know me, that uh, I've sort of become the company. You know, Initially, I, it was RalphVelasco.com, and I changed that to photo enrichment because I didn't want it to be so much about me. Um, now, I'm, I am bringing on another photographer to start leading some trips for me. Uh, I'm not, I don't love managing people, so that's part of it. Um, and so what I did is I created this tour organizer training program and I, I tell the story. I was sitting across the table from my mother and, uh, telling her, you know, that I'm looking to expand my business. I can't possibly lead any more trips. And I'm thinking about, uh, online courses and webinars to somehow fold that into my business. And if there's anything that makes sense for me to create a course around, it's probably photography teaching photography online well you know now those are kind of a dime a dozen those types of courses so there's a lot of people doing that i didn't want to just be another one or have to you know compete with all the other ones that are out there so my mom said you know what you're looking for the horse you're riding on and i thought about her a second <laughs> and what she meant was that the answer is right there in front of me and if there's anything i know how to do it's how to organize and lead tours and so I see a lot of, um, I don't know, travel bloggers, people in the travel industry that are sort of eking a living from, I don't know, uh, putting up blog posts in exchange for a, a night stay, stay, a free stay yeah. or, you know, free meal or something, tweet about it. And, and that's fine, but it's not really sustainable. It's, so my thought is, you know, if people want to make a real living from travel, organize and lead tours and uh it's it's certainly not rocket science but it's not easy but uh it's fairly simple when you know anything simple when you have a, a road map and so i was actually writing down all the steps that are involved with what i do for my administrative assistant and i thought well these are exactly the the steps that would make for the modules, the modules are sort of the big 
overall concepts of what I do, which are the pre-scouting trip, the scouting trip itself, the post-scouting trip. Then there's the pre-group trip, the group trip itself, the post-group trip, and then I call it rinse and repeat, do it again. So those are actually the seven modules, and then underneath each one of those is four or five uh, more broken-down lessons. So I created this course uh, called uh, uh, Get Paid to Travel, How to Organize and Lead Your Own Tours for Profit. And so it's seven modules, about 25-plus video lessons, all the... Uh, supporting materials that you need like expense spreadsheets, pricing, uh, email templates, and pretty much everything anyone would need to get into this business. It's a business in a box. And man, do I wish that was available when I started out. <laughs> and uh, so I think it's, e it's not easy, but it's easier than ever to do what I do because when I started out in 2005-06, there was no... Facebook, very little social media, if any. Uh, blogs were just kind of coming to be. There was no online courses. So all these, all these advantages that we have now, that someone has now, people have followings, email lists. I had zero email list. So all these things now people can build on and create tours around. And a person can, can, can really have, I think, some really fascinating experiences if they get into this line of business. And, and it sounds like the tour organizer training is a easy on-ramp to these experiences. That's kind of the way I look at it. If you want to go, if you want to go to a place and you enjoy, uh, you know, photography and you want to teach other people to do that, well, you, you, you can do the tour organizer training. Now, one of these experiences that we were talking about, I think earlier, uh, was things that you eat. Now, I've watched these shows where people travel to places and they eat these disgusting things. And we're so walk, 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 my, walk my, us my, through. My 16 year old <laughs> loves lists. And so, and every once in a while, she'll, she'll, she'll call up, you want to look up the 10 most disgusting things to eat again? And then she'll read them and show them to me. <laughs> Some bad stuff out there. But yeah. What, so, you've traveled all, all across the globe to more places than most people will ever go in their lives. Walk us through the types of foods or the types of experiences you've had that stand out. Yeah, I um, I'll try just about anything twice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't trust first impressions. Okay, okay. but uh, as far as food goes, uh, I'm pretty experimental. Um, I've eaten tarantulas in Cambodia and putrefied shark in Iceland and uh, I don't know what else in other places, but, um, I'll try it. And, you know, as long as I know it's not going to get me sick or, or ill or, uh, you know, die, of course, uh, I, I'll probably try it. Um, just to kind of say I did and, you know, <laughs> you know, have the experience and be able to tell someone else about it. So can you warn somebody off something? Can sure. You, yeah. Like what, what is the worst thing you tried it, tried it the second time. And it was really bad. You're like, I'm, there's going to be no third. Yeah, I mean, a tarantula, I, I did once, and I don't, there's no reason okay. for me to do it again. Do it I didn't do it twice. What do you okay. eat on a tarantula? I'm assuming it gets cooked. You eat the first. whole thing. Yeah, Stop the whole it. thing. Yeah, they fry them. Uh, certainly, you know, that singes the hair off of it. Okay. Right. And then you kind of crunch it down, and uh, uh. It, it's like a, it, it tastes almost like a soft shell crab, but it's a tarantula. 
so, and so you more, know it. So more, it's like you know what you're eating, which ruined it for it's you. It's totally oh. mental. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if someone fed it to you without your knowing what it was, you'd probably be like, okay, it's fried. It's you know, it's it's, it's okay. But it's the thought of it, of course. So and you're sitting there with these, you know, ten- tentacles coming Stop out of your mouth. It. Oh yeah. So. Have you ever done the the the, the, the octopus? That just died and it's flopping around thing. You know that's a, that's a popular Facebook. Thing. Is it? Yeah, you kill the octopus right before it gets oh. to you, but it's still got it's still got nerves going on in, in the arms, and so it's flopping around. Yeah, I mean, octopus and squid are probably my favorite things to eat. Now, I I don't think I've ever eaten it where it was mm-hmm. still squirming around like that. I love it just grilled and with some olive oil and a little sea salt. To me, that is one of my favorite things you, in the you world. You got a new travel buddy here. You know, <laughs> Jason just got back from Italy. Now here's your guy. There you go. <laughs> and, and one thing I do on my trips now, I, I come. From, I'm a third generation restaurateur, so I've okay. I've owned a couple restaurants. My parents did. My my grandfather did. So I come through the restaurant business, and uh, food is such a big part of travel, especially the places that I go to, where they've got these amazing food cultures: Morocco, Turkey. You know, Italy, Spain, Portugal, and so you know I'm from Hungary, and nobody ever says Hungary. Never, <laughs> nope, never. Good luck. <laughs> no, but whatever, whatever the local food is uh, that in these locations, I love to incorporate food tours into my a locally guided food tour into my trips almost everywhere we go. So I'm heading off to um, Vietnam soon. And the first or second night we're there, I think second night we're there, we have a local guide that's going to walk us through the markets, through the different shops and restaurants where you know, teach us about the food. What are these exotic fruits and vegetables that we're looking at? How do you buy them? Uh, how do you prepare them? Sometimes we even have cooking classes, things like that. Because food, I think after the people, food is like almost the most important thing in a culture. And so we do this early on in the trip uh, by design because then you have that information for the rest of the trip. And you know what these things are, how to prepare them, how to buy them, maybe what to stay away from. And so to me, I absolutely love doing that. And um, it's, and, and people can do that on their own. I mean, there's, I think foodie tours are one of the fastest growing parts of the tourism industry now. And so, um, but back to the tour organizer training, what I'm teaching people is not how to do photo tours necessarily, but I do recommend that you have a special interest mm. to build your trip around, whether it's food or music. Um, or photography, travel writing, yoga, whatever it might be, to build your trip around and to have a sort of a common interest. A theme. A theme, mm-hmm. exactly, uh, for your clients. So you're teaching them to take a, uh, uh, to, to manage the whole tour company and then include, and, and not just take tours and you know send them out. But but then to take their special interests. So yours was yours was photography, and obviously you're foodie too. But if someone like you talked about wants to do uh, music, then how how they can build a trip, get paid to go there, and experience music and culture in that location. Yeah, and and typically you as the tour leader are the one teaching that subject or that that theme. However, a lot of people don't feel that they have the capability to teach maybe music 
but you can organize experts in the location. Mm. You can just put together, well, if it's a music tour, let's go to the opera. Let's visit street musicians. You know, let's you know, go to ballet, do things that are built around that theme. And you don't have to be that expert. You can just be the, the what I call the aggregator of experts in the destination. And then you, you probably should have an interest in that theme. And you probably will. And so you get to be a part of it. So it's, it's, it's great for everyone. That's awesome. It's just a fascinating, it's a fascinating way that you got started. You know, that, that idea of crisis kind of set you on the path that you, that you sort of instinctually wanted to be on anyhow. And now that you're walking down that path, you're trying to figure out, okay, now what's the, what's the next thing? And how do I, how do I scale into that? Um, you know, now that, now that you don't have a, you know, I guess the blessing of not having a crisis to thrust you into it. Well, and the other thing is it just again shows that there's just so many different ways to make a living. If you just think outside the box a bit and, and do some exploring, right? Because that's, that's, you just kind of had an interest and you started it and kind of started to build. And then all of a sudden, you know, crisis hits and you've, you've got something you're ready to roll with. Well, right? also, and I think, um, you know, we were talking on on a different podcast that we that, that was recently released. We have uh, a guy who also followed his passion and started some online communities out of his passion. Uh, after after reading, I think the book "Crush It" uh, by Gary Vaynerchuk, and that's that seems to me that there's a corollary there with you that you follow this passion, but you build a business around that passion that supports, but you're, but you can't take one or the other. You can't have just the business. You can't have just the passion. You per, you put the two together and you've got a winning formula. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it certainly helps. And you want to build it around something that you enjoy doing. I mean, why build it around something that you don't enjoy doing when you can just as easily or more easily build it around something that you do enjoy. And then, uh, you know, it's and also it's going to come across to your clients. If you're not enjoying it, it's going to be obvious. So, uh, and I and I say build trips around place to places that you're interested in going to, because uh, sometimes people will say, "Well, what are the most popular destinations in the world? That's where I want to build my trip around." Well, if you don't have any interest in going to those places then why do it? I mean, that's the beauty of what, what I do is that I get to build trips around and to places that I want to go to. And so when I do rotate and go to these new destinations, they're typically places that I have an interest in because that's going to really come across to my clients. Now, especially when I'm, uh, when I'm in a location, I'm always, uh, doing a, a lot of posts on Facebook. And so that is absolutely kind of teasing people a little bit and showing them what's there, what they can see, what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing, who I'm meeting. And uh, it's probably going to drum up some interest on, on their part. And so, you know, that's when I get emails from people or, or, or uh, comments and says, Hey Ralph, you know, add me to the interest list for that trip. Cause that looks amazing. And, and, you know, so trips are starting to fill up and I call that creating buzz. Now I just love to share where I am, what I'm doing, but you know, unintentionally it's also getting people to salivate about 
wow, that looks amazing. And, 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 you know, so it works. It's kind of a double thing. Wow. It's great. <laughs> so what's your, okay. What's your, what was your interest in Cuba? You know, what drew you there? Cause it's the place you go the most often. Well, uh, you know, it was a place, uh, it's funny how that trip even happened. I was meeting one-on-one with one of those clients early on in, in doing this. This I've been going to Cuba now for eight or nine years, and I've been doing this full-time 10. And uh, a woman said, why don't you go to Cuba? And I said, well, I didn't think people could go to Cuba. And this is like 2008 or nine. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking into it, and sure enough, I uh, figured out a way to go down. I absolutely go legally we these are fully licensed trips you don't, you don't take a raft <laughs> no i don't take a raft there are back but there are companies that will bring groups through mexico or third country and that's a way to sort of fly under the radar uh, i would never do that with a group because i'd be scared to death about getting caught on the way in especially yeah, for sure and then your trip's blown up and you know where's our leader so uh we absolutely go legally and um, so I just was fascinated by the culture and the people are just fantastic. Uh, it's like one of the safest places that you can go. And there's often people think that it's not safe. And so it, I'm there's just fascinated a, by the cars. The cars are amazing. The cars are all from the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just yeah. would be fascinated about, to just walk around and look at those. Oh, yeah. About 25% of the cars down there are these old American cars from the 40s, 50s. And they're in very different states of repair, <laughs> uh, but the, the Cubans are extremely ingenious people when it comes to fixing them and finding parts and refashioning things from other cars. It's, it's, it's great. Wow. Well, this is, this is really fascinating. I could, I could talk to you for a long time. Yeah. About we could just sit these... here and just talk about trips. For like, I love trips. I love that. travel. <laughs> I love, I love, I did, I really like photography. I love food. Uh, and I, and I really, it really fascinates me to think about the different cultures. I mean, like Alex mentioned, I was in Rome recently and, and what I enjoy doing is if you look at like the Coliseum and it's kind of like, okay, it's a Coliseum, but if you, but if you really just stand there for a moment and, and push away the idea that you're standing there in, you know, 2018 and, and there's all these people mulling around and set your clock backward and think, man, there are real people living real lives who have no concept, you know, a couple thousand years ago, who had no concept that, uh, that I would be standing here at one point in yeah. time. And they're just going milling about their business. 2000 years later. Right? Amazing. Isn't yeah. it? Oh, it's that, incredible. To think of that. And some of these cultures that have changed so slowly over the years, um, unlike, you know, the States, this is a great melting pot and we're very young. Uh, but all these cultures that you get to you get to take a step back in time and and see some traditions and things it's amazing yeah i mean i I get to do that often and so and i and i appreciate that that's that's what i try to do almost everywhere i go is think about those kinds of things and and just appreciate Uh, but talking about these different cultures what i found in going to as many places as i have now is how similar we are Hmm. Uh, not the differences, but the similarities mm-hmm. between us. And to me, that fascinates me even more is going to these you know, places all around the world, different languages. And I often say this uh, every couple of years, I put this up on Facebook. I, you know, I, I land somewhere. It's like, man, it just fascinates me that you can get in this, this little silver tube and... <laughs> 
10 hours later, you get out, there's a different language, different religion, culture, weather, you know, everything about the place is different. And all I did was sit there for 10 hours on an airplane. And now I'm in this new play, you know, you walk out and it's different language, alphabet, whatever. Um, But yet we all have these same basic needs, every single one of us. Yeah. It's really people are people no matter where you go. Absolutely. Wow. This is this is great, Ralph. Thanks so much for joining us on the What Works podcast. Now, how how can people get get in contact with you? You've got two different things going on here. Kind of, kind of you get the trips, and then you got the the uh, the training. How do people get in contact with you for those? Sure. So for the trips, it's simply photoenrichment.com. and I'm also on all the social media networks, both at Ralph Velasco and at Photo Enrichment for pretty much all the networks. I mostly concentrate on Facebook. Instagram, a little bit of Twitter, but uh, also for tour organizer training, that's simply tourorganizertraining.com. And uh, we have these uh, periodic webinars, free webinars, where people can come and sort of kick the tires, see what it's about, get an idea um, about what the actual course is about. And that's simply tourorganizertraining.com slash free dash webinar. And I'm sure you'll probably put those in the, the show notes and um, people can see what that's about. And then uh, there's also the paid course that actually someone can purchase. Uh, the, right now the price is $997. And, uh, but for under $1,000, you can get a business in a box. And to me, it is the best money that someone could ever spend because you can imagine I've spent hundreds of hours and tens of thousands of dollars in making mistakes that in this course you won't have to make. And so to me, that's the value. Totally. And a lot of this information may be available online and you can kind of piece it together. But I don't know about you, but if I've invested in a course, I'm going to I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to yeah. consume it where if it's free, I've got a thousand free eBooks and courses that I've never touched. Cause yeah. to me, there's no value in them. I'm still, and trying, got, to, I'm still trying to finish a few of these Udemy courses. <laughs> exactly. I've, me too. And they cost, yeah. you know, and those are only like 10 bucks right. even yeah. if that, but, and they've got you, the expert behind the scenes, ready to, ready to be there. Yeah. I wish that this was available when I started out. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, thanks, Ralph, for being on the What Works podcast. Thanks, guys, for having me. This was wonderful. The What Works podcast is a production of Thinker Ventures. Learn more at thinkerventures.com.